tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, I hope you're listening to Father Father Rocky's uh, uh, Lenten lessons. He's talking about the sex. They really are good. I mean, it just, um, I, I don't know. Let me grind my axe here. I, you know, catechesis, that is learning about the faith in the Lord, it's really been poor for 40 or 50 years. Uh, we, we revamped it and um, so that people would know more, and I think a lot of people know a lot less, to be quite honest. Um these things that are just part of our culture as Catholics, like the sacristy. What's a sacristy? Oh, dear. I'm off the topic, and I haven't gotten on the topic yet. But it comes to the word sacred. It's a sacred place of preparation for Mass. And Father Rocky goes through it. The, these, the Lenten lessons are, are really worth worth a listen. You can get them, if you don't hear them uh, listening to the, the shows, you can get them at their website, uh, Relevant Radio. But... Um, I'm going to grind an axe here. My life as a pastor, one of the great banes of it was the, the, the chaos in the sacristy. Sacristy comes from the word sacred, and it's anything but sacred. People just charge in there, yo, hey, how you doing? I got a joke, you know, that kind of thing. And a priest is supposed to prepare himself in prayer for for the Mass. Father, there's no toilet paper in the ladies' room. Or the pew in the third on the third side, the third pew is is shaky. What am I gonna do about it then? Um it's I actually created an alternate uh uh sacristy, which I had signs all over. It didn't say silence because people know that and they ignore it. The sign said silent, and you'd have to read it. Silent? What's silent? This is a place for silent prayer. And I would come into the to vest in this little vesting room and glare at the at the uh, uh, extra, the lectors, and the, you know, we 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 had uh, a vestment. It wasn't an L, wasn't a cassock. We use those. They, in Spanish, they're called togas, but the graduation robes with the cowls on, you might see a choir dressed in them. They were kind of unisex, you'll forgive my using a strange term from the 60s, but uh, it covered a multitude of fashion faux pas, you know. I, I remember I had one woman who would come to help. She would run up from the congregation when she saw there weren't enough communion ministers there was one woman who would always show up in these diaphanous purple and matching liturgical colors, you know, these grand. And she was, uh, um, uh, shall we say, statuesque, not petite. And she would be swathed in yards and yards of gauzy cloth and enough enough uh, <clears throat> cologne to, to gag a goat and or perfume and 
and up she would come uh, from the congregation. And then there was another one who would come up, who, the, the second one was a true saint, but she would come up dressed in a pink sweatsuit and a green Notre Dame hat. <clears throat> and um, so I decided we were going to kind of change that. And so we made everybody dress in one of these uh, graduation gowns and with a matching cowl that was in the liturgical color. It gave some dignity to it. And um, um, the, the how did they get off on that? Well, they would vest in the same room. And the idea that you should prepare for Mass in prayer is utterly foreign to the current liturgical situation. And the very word sacristy should indicate that this is a sa- the vesting in itself is a sacred act. We have so little sense of the sacred, and it is, it is devastating. People argue about the, <clears throat> the Novus Ordo and the Old Mass and all that. I would go way back. The sense of the sacred that this is. And this will launch us into today's reading, but I should pray first. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, Lord, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit that right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table, because in this particular instance, the big book on the coffee table is uh, in agreement with me. <laughs> well, I'm in agreement with it. How convenient. The Lord said, to, yes, how convenient. Yes, the voice from my head just said, speak to the whole assembly of the children of Israel and told them and told them and tell them, be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. All right, be holy. The word is Kodesh, and that means to be separate, to be set apart. That's essentially what the word means, because I, the Lord, and this is Hashem, this is YHWH. Now, a little refresher, I'm sure you know this because I tell you all the time, no Jew, I don't even think a a Reformed Reformed Jew would, would do this, when you see the word YHWH in the text of Scripture, you don't pronounce it. It, it. That's the unspoken name of God. By the time of the of the of the Temple of Herod, you know the Second Temple, whatever we're calling it, that word was said only by the high priest on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holies. When a Jew sees YHWH in the text of Scripture, if he's praying, he says Adonai, which means Lord. If he's not in prayer and talking about YHWH, he says Hashem, which means the name, or Shmaim, which means heaven. 
YHWH is the name of God. You know, um, uh, forgive me, I repeat myself, being old. But God is not the name of God. G-O-D is not the name of God. That's an Indo-European word that means the one to whom prayers are addressed. That's, that seems to be what it means. It's uh, Indo-European languages, which almost all the languages of Europe are Indo-European. Many of the languages of India and of Persia, Afghanistan, um, number of extinct languages. It's a la- the largest language family in the world. Uh, it seems to have originated in the steppes of what is now southern Russia and spread south east into 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 Persia and India and then west into Europe. It's a big language family. In primitive Indo-European, apparently the word G-O-D had to do with the one to whom prayers are addressed. That's his job description. It's not his name. Uh, the more common word in the West for God is is usually a a sort of uh, variation on on what in Latin is Deus D E U S, and that meant the shining one Dios in Spanish Dieu in Ita- in French the Dio in Italian, and so on. Those words, uh, the, the 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 Southern Indo-European European languages. Uh, that means the shining one. That that seems to be what God is. Now, in the Semitic languages, of which Arabic, Hebrew, uh, I think uh, the Ethiopian languages, I think Amharic is Semitic. Um, the word is El, or Al, which means the one who is above. These are all references to God. They aren't his name. His name is YHWH. That's what he said to Moses when Moses asked him, who shall I say send me? And YHWH was his name. And he also said, I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Uh, So what's going on here? YHWH seems to mean the one who is. Um. You know, that phrase, I am, well, that's unique to God. Jesus says, he calls himself, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That's an odd way to say, well, he was arrogating divinity to him. Not arrogating, he was claiming divinity for himself, uh, which he was. I can't say I am. I must say, I am Father Simon. I am a guy who talks for an hour on the radio, I am tired. God doesn't have to say anything. He just says, I am. God ams. I don't know how else to put it. And the word YHWH seems to be, uh, seems to mean he who is, or even he who causes being. But I, I kind of like the interpretation that it simply means he who is. That's what God does. He is us. Only one who is on his own authority. Is this? Well, you just heard it here. Speak to the assembly of the children and tell them, Be holy, for I, the one who am your God, I'm holy. And so now you know what two words mean. Y-H-W-H, the name of God, 
And uh, when you see the word Lord in trans- translation, especially capitalized, that is substituting respectfully for YHWH. Uh, you know, we used to sing songs that used YHWH, and Pope Benedict wisely said, don't do that. It's disrespectful to Jews. Um, you know, that song, Dom, Dom, I know you are near. Lovely song. Uh, I never sing it because it, it's to me it's disrespectful of Jews. Um, and, you know, the word, you know, this is what I wanted to talk about. Oh, I'll just keep talking. I got a lot to talk about today. <clears throat> the the this YHWH business um, that that I really think we need to be careful about. Benedict Pope Benedict said we can use it in, when talking in scholarship, uh, but not uh, not just in, in liturgy because we have another name that is derivative of YHWH. There, you can't say, you're not supposed to say YHWH, but you can say his nickname. His nickname is Yeho, Y-E-H-O, or Yah, or Yahoo. Uh, when you say Alleluia, you're saying praise YHWH. Yah is, is, in a sense, the short form of that, and we can say that. Yah, Yahoshua means YHWH saves. And that's the name by which we are saved. You see, we know more about God than simply that he is the one who is and who causes being. He, St. Thomas Aquinas says he's the very act of being. But <clears throat> the, we, we know more about that. We know that this, this being has as its purpose to save us. All right, let's, let's get into the reading itself. There are all of these things you're not supposed to do. You know, you shouldn't defraud or rob your neighbor. You shall not withhold overnight the wages of a day laborer. You shall not curse the deaf. You know, they can't hear you. Or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am YHWH. Now, what's going on here? Why does he, he punctuates all these these moral um, uh, um, uh injunctions by saying i am the lord in other words all of these things belong to him i i can't do these things because they're not mine i'm not mine i am the cause of being i am being itself <clears throat> um <clears throat> excuse me uh this this idea that that I'm in control. That, no, you're not. You shall not act dishonestly in rendering judgment, showing, showing neither partiality to the weak nor deference to the mighty. We don't favor someone simply because they're poor, or we don't defer to them simply because they're great. We look for the truth. We judge our fellow men with justice. <clears throat> Why all these these things that we have to do uh, for one another? Because I'm the Lord? His very name is saying, these belong to him. You shall not mistreat what belongs to the Lord. Um, oh, good grief. Oh, why not? It's, it's, it's Monday, and I'm in one of those moods, so I'll just go on and on. You know, in that wonderful... Amen, Charlie Brown. The, that wonderful, wonderful 
incident where they bring a coin up to Jesus and say, is it, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, show me the coin. He had them right there, you know, because uh, the Roman emperor was carved on the one side of the coin, a graven image, and a god or goddess of Rome was on the other side of the coin. What is a good Orthodox Jew doing carrying around the graven image of a foreign god? He had him right there. But he said, whose coin is this? It's Caesar. He says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, render to God what is God's. The coin belonged to Caesar. It had his image on it. So what's God's coinage? What belongs to God? In his own image, he made them male and female. Every human being you meet is the coinage of God and belongs to him. And what this passage is saying is that you should treat everyone as if they belong to God because God is holy. God is set apart, and you're supposed to be set apart. This brings me to the X I was grinding earlier. We have no sense of the sacred in our times, and this is to our detriment and to our impoverishment. Our lives are poorer because we do not have a sense of the sacred. We we go into the sacristy, the sacred room of vesting, guns a-blazing, voice at... Uh, <clears throat> as loud as we can make it. I found that so difficult to be so distracted. I was a wreck before I started Mass because everyone had come to me with their problems. There's no toilet paper in the ladies' room, like I said, and you know, and, and there's a roof and a leak in the roof, and there's this and there's that. And and did you hear the story about, did you, etc. So by the time the priest is standing in the back waiting to, to process up the aisle, to enter into this this intensely sacred ritual that goes back, as I've often shared with you, not 2,000 years, but 4,000 years. All they can think about is is the leaking roof and, and the flood in the ladies' room. Do you realize what that's like? If a priest comes into the into the church with a sense of the sacred, he loses it after about two or three people. He's worried about the nuts, the bolts, the toilet paper, and the tires, the tar paper on the roof. And I, what did the voice in my head just say? Leaks, locks, and latrines. Yes. Yes. That. Yes. Yes. That's that's it. And and then then there's the oh gosh, I'm just going to go on and on here. Then there's a, here's a new word I've invented: vestibulating. Vestibulating in the vestibule of the church. Yes, Father, can I use the hall next Tuesday? Yeah, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. But the priest said I could use the hall. You know, I used to tell people, if I promise you something in the vestibule, I am lying to you. Father, you're lying to us? Yes, because if I say yes to you, it's because I'm probably just saying, yeah, I'm listening. When you take it as yes, you can have the hall. Uh, or yes, you can you can do this, that, or the other thing. That's vestibulating, that nagging the pastor for services in the two minutes that he's standing in the vestibule. Vestibulating. You heard it here first. Now, I may be complaining, and I'm now retired and don't have to worry about vestibulation. Uh, I have no authority whatsoever in any parish anywhere. Uh, it's it's uh, been very easy to say when I'm celebrating a Mass in a place helping out. Father, could I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not from here. Oh, where was I? You get, you get what I'm driving at. That, that we are so concerned about the business and busyness of it that we have no sense of the sacred. 
and we have no sense of the sacred in dealing with one another because we have no sense of the sacred in terms of place or time. I, I think that this, this idea, oh, I, I can't stop. This is just too important a theme. We're a people set apart. And so often in the church, it seems like we're people trying to catch up uh, with society as it merrily skips along the road to hell. I mean, anybody who wants to keep up with the times is crazy. The times stink. We can't tell if we don't even know which washroom to use. And we're trying to keep up with these times. We're a people who are set apart. And that may not be pleasant at all times, but that's what holiness is. The quality of our life, the kindness with which we treat other people, the respect with which we treat other people, but the honesty and impartiality with which we treat other people. These are marks of our character, and they are signs that we belong to God. You are different, and so many of us think we're being different, and we're not. When you argue about, about you know, I, I think that to be well-informed, to have well-informed political and even theological understandings is very, very important. But to argue about them, well, that's what the world does. When you're when you start arguing about theology and politics, not discussing them. Discussing is great, but when you throw yourself in with heat and anger, you're no different than the world. The calmness with which you and I should approach these very serious matters, the calmness and the reasonableness should set us apart as saying, this person doesn't have to get angry. You know, people get angry about issues when they aren't sure of their own argument. And we live in a time that does not know how to debate or to discuss, and that's why everybody's angry, because if I just yell louder, I'll win the argument. And that is now it works. So be holy. Don't even discuss theology or politics the way the world does. You and I must be different from the world. We must imitate Christ, who is the visible image of the Father. We are people set apart. And that should begin in church with the sacredness of the space and should extend to our lives. And we should, the space in which we find ourselves should be made sacred by our presence. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, be set apart, be different, because I, the Lord your God, am different. Enough, enough. Let's go to a break. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Częstochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. Sometimes does somebody some good somehow That's why I, I'm laughing now Goodness, I don't know this song that's why You live, you learn Well, that said Who is that, dear voice in my head? Oh, that's all right. We don't have to worry about that. Well, let's just charge it. It's it's a nice song. Let's let's launch. Oh, oh, that that clears up a lot. Levy, Sifre. 
Oh, somehow it makes me feel old. It's from 1972, I assume you knew it. No, well, that makes me feel old too. Oh, just digging my I'm own grave. <laughs> it's just one foot in. All right, let's go to letters. Now, I have a letter here from Marie in Wisconsin Rapids. And I, I'm having a hard time quite understanding the question, but I think I put it together. I'm wondering what is the background of the Passion Translation of the Bible? Okay, the Passion Translation of the Bible is a handy-dandy, uh, easy-to-read, modern translation of the Bible uh, that, that was... Uh, uh, um, the the first parts of it were published in 2011, and uh, the lead translator is Brian Simmons, and the idea is something easy to understand, and it's a really bad translation. Uh, for instance, um, the the Galatians 2:19 is a verse I found. Hina um, theoseso that means that I might live for God. They translate it so that I can live for God in heaven's freedom. This isn't in the text. There's all sorts of stuff. Uh, for instance, Revelation 22, 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the book. Oh, that's uh, a, crit- a criticizer of it, uh, a critic of it, uh, points out that, that 22, 18, don't add or subtract from the book, which I think is taken out of context. But nonetheless, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's a theological interpretation. And... Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't read it. Uh, it's kind of useless if you want to read the Bible, I think. But that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. All right, moving along here. Let's see. I've got... Uh, oh, click on this. Um, there's somebody uh, here who sent in a rather simple question. Father Simon, what are your thoughts on a closed or open casket? And I, the first thing that that came to mind was... Was the deceased good-looking in life or not? I'm kidding. I don't think it matters. It's local custom. Um, you know, we honor the body because it, it uh, uh, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's an eternal reality. We believe in the resurrection. A closed or open casket is, is just a matter of one's own personal preference. I think most people... Um, I don't know what most people like, and I don't know that that should affect it. What the family feels is appropriate um, should dictate uh, uh, that. All right, let's see here. All right, this is from Norma uh, in Harlingen, Texas. Who baptized John the Baptist? Well, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, John the Baptist was probably a member of a sect called the Essenes. Um, and there's theory that he was kicked out of the Essenes. He was certainly from what I like to call the Dead Sea sectaries. These these little groups in the Dead Sea that they, they were from priestly families, as was John the Baptist, who had abandoned the temple because they thought it corrupt and they kind of lived out in deserted places, and uh, apparently the theory is that uh, uh, a monastery for the, 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 these these people was um, located in, in what is now Qumran. Uh, um, who knows? 
But John the Baptist would have been a member of one of these sects, most probably, and they practiced uh, baptism constantly. They were constantly washing, but they baptized themselves. The Jews to this day have the custom of the mikveh, in which you go down into a pool of water on one set of stairs, you crouch in a fetal position, and you come up the other side, the other set of stairs on the other side of the pool. That's a small pool, and symbolically, you have left all of the schmutz, the dreck, and the and the, the 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 garbage in the water. It's a sort of self-baptism, and you do that when you've. I remember hearing a Jewish friend say once, "Oh, uh, what." I've been having a rough time. I need a good mikveh. And kind of like going to confession without a confessor. The Dead Sea sectaries did this constantly. They they bathed constantly. Uh, and and um, John the Baptist would have been one of these. So who baptized John the Baptist? If he was in one of these sects, uh, he would have been immersed by one of them. Or he baptized himself when he was a member of one of these sects. So I hope that helps. And the idea was that if you converted to Judaism, you underwent a baptism. John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan. They're saying, it doesn't matter if your dad or your mom were Jewish. You have to, you have to individually and personally enter into this covenant, which was, you know, kind of insulting. What do you mean I'm not Jewish? My mother was Jewish. I'm Jewish. No, that's like saying, I'll never forget uh, I was in one of the parishes I was at. There was a community of left, leftists who ran the parish before I got there. And they didn't really like me very much. And um, we were discussing. We were having these meetings to discuss the situation. And this woman who believed in, you know, the woman's right to abortion, the whole list, she believed in gay marriage. Believed, this was 30 years ago. She was woke before anybody else was woke. And she's hollering at me, saying, you can't tell me how to be Catholic. I was born Catholic. And I was say, you were not born Catholic. You were baptized Catholic. In other words, God has no grandchildren. You can't enter into the church simply because your parents were Catholic. It helps if your parents instructed you in the truth of the Catholic faith. But you must personally accept and appropriate not only Christ, but the bride of Christ. So I, I think that's important. No one is born Catholic. You're baptized Catholic. You might have been baptized the, the hour that you sprang from your mother's womb, but you were still baptized. You spent some moments as a pagan, even if you were baptized immediately upon birth. So uh, I think that's important to understand. And this woman was so insulted when I said, you weren't, you weren't born Catholic. Of course she was. Her people had been, I think she was Irish, and the Irish had been Catholic since long before Christ. Well, uh, she was insulted. And with reason to say to a Jewish person, you're not Jewish. My mother was Jewish. My father was Jewish. I'm Jewish. No, you have to be baptized Jewish. That's what John the Baptist was in essence saying to people, and it was insulting. And it got him killed. All right, let's see here. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I'm left-handed. This is from Jacqueline. I'm left-handed because of this. I'm ambidextrous in many things. How bad is it if I unknowingly genuflect on my left leg? Jacqueline, it's not bad at all. Don't worry about it. That's not, that's not a major thing. If you cross yourself with your left hand, if you genuflect on your left knee, it just means you're as confused as I am. <laughs> 
don't worry about it. God will not punish you, and the church will not excommunicate you for genuflecting on the wrong knee or even making the sign of the cross with the wrong hand. There, I know that the dear nuns who raised me would have been horrified because, of course, the left. And it's interesting. I have a little word of the day, pre-word of the day. The word sinister means left. You had the dextra and the sinistra. The sinistra was the, the left side, and it was believed that the good spirits hung around on your right side and the bad spirits hung around on your left side. Hence, left meant evil, sinistra. And, well, maybe it still does. Okay, moving along, but don't worry about it. Genuflect. I'm glad that you're genuflecting. Oh, and I didn't mention the... the, uh, the uh, <clears throat> The call number. We got a lot of lines open. Do call and stump the river know it all. Not a difficult thing to do. At 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Let's see. Where's, where's my spectacles here? All right. Let's go back to the, uh, Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Dear Father Simon, I understand that number 40 is one of the symbolic numbers mentioned many times in the Bible. So considering how hard, almost impossible, it is for the human body to survive without food for 40 days or 40 nights, could be that Jesus, with his human body, fasted much less than 40 days. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I don't know about much less. Um, as Again, as I say, I wasn't there. Also, um, the idea of fasting, uh, I think a human body, 40 days uh, is sort of the way we would say about a month. But 40 also had, had a, a very symbolic meaning. It was, a, it, was, it, it was about testing. You know, 40 days uh, in, in the ark, uh, 40 years in the desert, that sort of thing. It, it, it has, I believe, the significance of, of testing. So 40 days in the desert. Jesus was tested in the desert for 40 days. And by the way, tempt and test, same exact word in, in the Greek text. But uh, no, it's possible that you can't live without water for that. Uh, but um, you can, you actually can live without food uh, for quite a while. Um, if Jesus abstained from all food for 40 days, as I say, I wasn't there, but he was in the desert with the wild beasts. So I hope that helps a little. We're going to go to a break, 888-914-9149, to call in and ask me any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, the church, and the big book on the coffee table, the Bible, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Father Simon says, Wait! Where are you going? On Relevant Radio. I was going to make espresso. Today we'd like to thank Santi, who is listening in Maine for donating his 1983 Jaguar XJ6. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. That's RelevantRadio.com slash car. You say either. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and neither, neither. Well, here we are. Let's call the whole thing off. No, I don't want to call the whole thing off. I want to go to the word of the day. The word of the day is, of course, eriphos, which is the, the Greek word for a young goat. Not just goat, but a young goat. And 
we read in the gospel, which I didn't talk about, a shepherd separates, uh, he will separate the nations from one another. All the nations will be assembled before him. Now, this is an extra word of the day. The word for a nation is a goy in, in Hebrew. The goyim are the nations. And if somebody calls you a goy, feh, you know, that's not a compliment. You're a Gentile. The word Gentile is the polite word for somebody. It comes from gens gentis, uh, which is Latin for nation. And the Gentile is, of course, uh, someone who is from the nations, not from God's chosen people. And so when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne and all of the Gentiles, all of the non-Jews will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. What's wrong with goats? He's going to place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his sinistra, his left, his sinister side. What's wrong with goats? They're very tasty and they, they're kind of fun when they make odd noises and, and you can get goat's milk and goat cheese. I, the cheese is okay. The milk has always left me cold, but goats are useful. What's different about a sheep and a goat? Goats are not gregarious. They're not easy to herd. Sheep are much easier to herd. They stick in a group. Goats go off being goats. Uh, the work of a goat herd, you have to, you don't get much rest. That's as I understand it. And this is important because, well, I don't go to Mass on Sunday. I go into the forest and there I feel God and I pray and I'm one with the Lord. God doesn't want you to be one with him as much as he wants you to be one with the people you don't particularly like, you know, your neighbors, you know. What did G.K. Chesterton said? It is interesting that the scripture says, love thy neighbor and love thy enemy because often they're the same exact person. That's, that's not C.S. Lewis, that's G.K. Chesterton. So um, this, is, this is the idea that, that the rugged individualist, uh, no, God wants us to love one another. And this is the idea that, that the holiness of God in the first reading is about, it means that we're going to care for people because they belong to God. And so it is, we're going to love one another and care for one another in the gospel reading because, well, we belong to God. So I, I think that that's, if you ever wondered what's the difference between sheep and goats, that's as I understand it. All right, let's go to the, let's go to callers. Why don't you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. <laughs> Debbie, you got a tiny question from Wisconsin? Yeah, hi, Father. I want hi. to know on this uh, this weekend on the uh, family uh, radio or rosary across America, you have said that our Blessed Mother was the first member of the church, and I'm wondering if you yeah. would say more about that. Well, it's just she was the first person to accept Christ. She, you know, we talk about accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. She's the first person who did that. Uh, and, and, and the church is holy. And so the blessed mother had a special gift of holiness to which she said yes. And to which she corresponded. But, uh, there was one time in history when there was only one person in the church, only one person who had accepted Jesus into her life. And that was our blessed mother. Does that explain it, Debbie? Thank you, father, very much. Well, 
God bless you. Thanks so much for calling. Let's go to Brother John from from Fairlawn in New Jersey. Thank excuse me, Father. Thank you. Uh, Jesus, our Lord, his epiclesis was hic est enim calic sanguinem meum novus et eterni testamentum mysterium pedei qui probobus e promultus effundator remissionum. He held up the chalice with those words. And somebody mm-hmm. decided to make that a change, which they couldn't do. And they have the mysterium fidei replaced and outside that Epicletus. Now, Christ did the right consecration, but nobody else followed that. Well, as I understood it, what I was taught in seminary was that the essential words, this is my body, this is my blood. You know, that, that, um, uh, I, I, that's what I was taught. So maybe, maybe everyone is wrong. I just don't know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, that this is my body, this is my blood. That's what Jesus said. When he said, this is the chalice of my blood. Yeah, but he still said, this is my blood. So I, I don't know what to tell you, brother. But no. Mark from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Are you with us, Mark? Oh, good day, Father. Can good you day. Hear me? So far, so good. I can hear you. What can I do for you? Oh, uh, what an honor. Thank you for taking my call. Well, uh, I'm honored that you're I... calling. Go on. <laughs> yeah, real quick, my, uh, my wife and I are working our way through the Bible, and we've uh, come across something. Uh, that was confusing, and uh, yes, uh, I have to bring an answer back to her. And if uh, if you don't know it, I'm hoping you can help me make something up. Oh, so, I, no problem, uh, no problem. <laughs> yes, First uh, uh, Samuel uh, sixteen, chapter fourteen, or no, ch- chapter sixteen, verse fourteen and fifteen. Yes. Yes, yes uh, it's a. Uh, I don't know if there's context for your listeners, yeah. but uh, well, now, David is being well, it's, anointed. It's, yeah, it's the story of uh, of, um, uh, of of Saul's falling from grace, and uh, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Uh, uh, so, uh, and then we read an evil spirit from the. What's this evil spirit from the Lord? It's very hard for us to admit. Uh, you look at the book of Job. The, there is the devil among the, the gathering of the sons of God. And he's talking to God. You know, that uh, nothing happens except with the permission of a father who loves us. That's that's hard for us to, to believe. And, you know, sometimes dad will let you get into trouble so that you don't do it again. Um uh, you know, the kid who wants to touch the hot stove and mom says, don't touch. And finally, the kid is so persistent and the stove isn't that hot. It's not going to hurt him. And she's got the back teen and the band-aids ready. So kid, it's the only way you're going to learn. Well, the kid learns. Yow. You know, that, that nothing touches us except with the permission of, of God. And you see, God restrains uh, the evil, the evil one who goes about seeking to devour us. And God restrains us from, restrains the, 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 the punishment that really should come with sin in this world. 
But if we persist in sin, God says, if that's what you want, if you want to be attacked by evil spirits, if you want to to have the consequence of sin, you see, God gives us what we want, not what we think we want, but what we actually want. And and Saul had given himself over to, well, to egotism. We see that in his dealings with Samuel the prophet, when Saul decides to arrogate to himself the privileges of the priesthood, and he lost the crown. Saul had given himself over to evil. So uh, I think that's what, what, what this means, is that God allowed an evil spirit who had his his uh, his eyes on Saul to say, well, Saul, Saul doesn't want my help. Your turn. Does that answer the question? Oh, thank you, Father. That was very good. Very good. I, I can relate well, that back to my wife. Uh, relate it back to your wife and tell her not <laughs> to shoot the messenger if she disagrees. <laughs> tell her to call me. <laughs> thank All right, you. God, God bless. bless. <laughs> All right. Okay, let us now go to Alonzo, who's calling in from uh, Rockland, California. What can I do for you, Alonzo? Uh, yes, Father. I wanted to know why we have saints in the New Testament, but not in the Old Testament. And we don't. I don't remember having any prayers for anyone in the Old Testament. You know, it's interesting. We don't have, uh, I don't know, like there isn't a feast of Abraham or a feast of Moses in 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 uh in the calendar of the church uh but we do regard them as as saints as as people who uh by an extra gift of god uh were were brought into the the, the covenant but the reason the, the uh, melchizedek we mentioned in the canon abraham we mentioned in the canon abel we mentioned in the canon of the mass so those are mentioned uh so we do regard them as holy but the the fullness of holiness couldn't be ob- obtained before Calvary. That that would be why. Does that answer your question, Father? You are awesome. Thank you very much, and have a happy Lenten. Take it with a grain of salt, but that's <laughs> I will. <laughs> oh boy, you God bless. Have a good Lent. Let's go to Tom from San Antonio. What can I do for you? That's a great town, San Antonio. I love that town. What can I do for you, Tom? <laughs> Yes, St. Anthony's time. Uh, yes, yeah. so the second reading, first uh, Peter, this last Sunday, and you may have spoke about it, but yes, it refer- I'll read it real quick. In it, he also went to preach to the spirits in prison who had once been disobedient while God patiently waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, etc. So who yes. is he? It's capitalized. And who are the spirits in prison? Well, he is the Lord, and the spirits in prison are those people who would not have been able to make covenant with the Lord in any sense. There was a covenant with Adam, it was broken, and then until the the covenant was renewed with Noah, humanity was under a curse. Uh, and and uh, the souls and the word the souls in prison. That seems to refer, you know, in the Apostles' Creed and say he descended into hell, that doesn't mean the place of torment. That means the underworld. And the ancients believed, and they seem to have been right, that there was kind of a shadowy underworld uh, where people went when they died, and uh, uh, where the souls languished in kind of a gray netherworld. And the Lord uh, went to... The word preach, we think of it as a long-involved sermon, such as I might produce. But no, it means 
to share the, the good news. He shared the good news and gave those people a chance to enter into covenant with God who had not had the opportunity between Adam and Noah. Does that answer your question? Well, so prison is uh, purgatory then, I'm assuming. Well, not purgatory. We would call it limbo, the underworld, the world of the dead. Okay. There you go. They're waiting waiting to get to heaven. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope that answers the question. (laughs) Okay, thank you, God bless. Let's go to Kathy from Philadelphia. We have less than a minute, Kathy. What can I do for you? Oh, thank you for taking my call, Father, and I think you're brilliant. And I have a question. I have a situation. I'm, um, I plan to be cremated, but I've had two oh. hips replaced. <laughs> and I guess whether I am buried or cremated, it wouldn't make any difference. My whole body wouldn't be. How does that no, work? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that when they give the ashes to those to whom they go, they'll give the hips to. All I know, Drew, Drew, he's coming up. 